0: Hello and welcome to the Garden Organic Podcast. I'm Sarah Brown and I'm joined by Chris Collins. Each month we like to bring you some tips for your organic growing. Whether like me you have a garden or like Chris you live in a city and you grow on an allotment or a balcony. We're often joined by an interesting guest whose life is shaped by gardening and particularly organic growing. So this month we have Jane Perone, a houseplant expert and one of the country's best known gardening journalists. When we met her we asked her how to grow houseplants the organic way. But before that, Chris and I thought we might share with you some ideas on how to keep your Christmas green and sustainable. We also dipped into some of this year's best gardening books, which you might like to give or receive as presents. So wherever you're listening, on the run, in a car, or down in the potting shed, I hope you enjoy our organic gardening podcast. Okay Chris, I've got some good news. Our lovely podcast, which I still feel is a baby, we've only been doing it for a few months... We've been shortlisted for award.
1: That is brilliant. Is this Who is this with?
0: This is the Garden Media Guild.
1: Wow, that's a well, way. We're quite high up then amongst the great and the good.
0: Well, I like to think so, but <laughs> isn't that amazing? It's
1: incredible. So I...
0: this is a shortlist of just, I think, four or five yes. podcasts of the year.
1: Do you know how hard, because I'm, I'm a member of the Garden Media Guild, do you know how hard it is to get off that list? No, I don't. That know. is really, you're right, I mean, it's, they're quite big journalists, strict journalists that, that do the judging on it, you know, they really are. So actually... In the little time we've been doing this, that is an amazing piece of news.
0: Well, I think thanks to our listeners, to be honest, because we get such lovely feedback from them. And, and it gives me heart each month yeah. to do it. Cause
1: I think it's important to say a little bit, that also down to you, Sarah, because I know all the footwork you do behind the scenes and how you put it all together. Ah. So I'm really chuffed for you, actually. I really Thank am. you, Chris. Yeah. That's very
0: generous, but we're a team. <laughs> <laughs> So Chris, now is the moment with Christmas coming, it's December, kick off the Wellingtons, have a seat, tell me how you're going to do Christmas.
1: Well I think it is, whatever we like it, it's a bit of time of indulgence isn't it, you know, you're always going to think that sort of time to spend with family, friends, have a few beers maybe out in the town in London for me, and just get get together with people and obviously eat, always eat heartily, I think it's yeah. that kind of that kind of thing, I think you have to be a bit careful with it because it can be incredibly wasteful time, can't it Sarah? I was in a, um, a well-known one-pound shop recently and, there, and it's aisles and aisles of plastic of Christmas decorations and they don't represent Christmas to me they don't feel homely it kind of feels like you're just going through the motions a bit with it
0: Absolutely. We're very keen that it should be as green as possible. Actually, literally green, because I think rather than rush out and buy a whole load of bright plastic tat from the shops, why not decorate using some green materials? Maybe some cuttings from your garden. I've got a lot of ivy, for instance. Or a holly, if you have a
1: holly on that,
0: yeah. So these are lovely cuttings that you can use to decorate round your mantelpiece or bookshelves or whatever.
1: That kind of uh, uh, earthy, natural materials is really, I think... That really sums up Christmas, doesn't it? It's a celebration of your year, isn't it? I think. And you're
0: doing it yourself. You're part of the process of yes. the celebration as opposed to just buying it all. Do
1: you remember when you were young and you used to make the paper chains? And You'd take your hours, but it was a real part of Christmas, wasn't it? You didn't yes. just go down buy something for a quid, whack it up. It yeah. was a real approach, a family sort of occasion, wasn't it? Absolutely. So you could do that with your holly and your and your ivy and make something natural, What's keep it earthy. nice
0: music on? Yes. Have a glass.
1: Bit of Val, bit of Val Dunican, maybe <laughs> glass of port. If you have to,
0: it's a <laughs> for me, but there you go. Yeah. <laughs> What present would
1: you like for Christmas? Well, I was thinking about this, Sarah. And, uh, obviously, it's going to be a, a horticultural present. What else could it be? And if Absolutely. I was buying something for someone, in fact, even my good lady, I think the best present to buy would be a propagator, an electric propagator. Oh, nice. Just because I think that is the start of the gardening journey. If you can raise a seed into a plant, I've got you. You're going to be a gardener. And I just think that, that to me, it kind of it encompasses, the propagator encompasses everything a gardener is, and that is about raising and looking after plants no
0: i've never had one but i assume the benefit of it is that it gets you going earlier. extended
1: well. season quicker germination so mm. like people you see results quicker
0: An irregular, constant heat
1: yes so you i always call it hot bottoms cold cool tops because i like to mist it down as well and you just get really strong healthy start to the season with your seedlings extended season but healthy tough strong plants mm. and just that whole journey of taking that the miracle of seed, that tiny little thing. Now that little sort of capsule that's just caught in time and then you germinate it and it comes to life. That's the magic of gardening, surely. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: and for me, I have to admit, it would be gloves. Now I know you don't. I, I've wear never, never worn them. <laughs> no, yeah. that's all right. That's
1: okay. Oh, we can see my hands are calloused up by <laughs> It's funny, isn't it? How you you garden a certain way, and uh, and you and you kind of get used to well, doing it. Well, I
0: realise one of them is that, that I have quite a lot of gravel paths in my garden around my beds, and of course those are fantastic seed beds forget yeah. the propagator. Just come to my gravel paths, and anyone who has gravel paths probably spends a lot of their time on their knees pulling weeds. Yeah, in. sure. So. So that's what I use gloves for and I find some gloves are too thin they wear out they fall apart very
1: smart, quite easy exactly. don't they yeah
0: so then you go for a thicker glove and then it's too Can't feel anything. Exactly. <laughs> so you've got to find exactly the right glove now I think I found them in the organic gardening catalogue Brilliant. so I'm going to do a little plug for the organic gardening catalogue partly because if you're a garden organic member you'll get 10% off but mainly because Obviously, all their products are aligned with the organic garden. And
1: pensions. also, they're of quality, I have to say. and I love that catalogue. And I, all my gardening, my, my things I need, my seaweed extract, my country pellets, all come from that catalogue. And I will literally set myself up in the new year with all the stuff I need for the season ahead. It's everything you need is in there as an organic gardener.
0: So, go to theorganicgardeningcatalogue.com. <laughs> <laughs> Very simple to find on the website. It is,
1: and I really, really can't stress how much I recommend that. I really do.
0: Now the question we get asked so often is, should it be a real tree or should it be an artificial one?
1: What's your choice then Sarah?
0: Well I'm lucky because I live in the country and because near me, very close to me in fact, there's a farmer who sets aside one small part of his farm, he sets aside a field where he grows Christmas trees. And it's part of our Christmas tradition is that we go there, we have a nice glass with him. He either cuts it for us or he digs it out for us. And I feel that is very green and very nice. sustainable. It's very sustainable because it's not his whole farm. He hasn't imported a tree from Norway or whatever. It's got a very low carbon footprint. I used to get them dug out and planted. Now I have no longer space in my garden to plant a mm. Christmas tree. So instead he saws it. But what I think I would stress is, if you're going to buy a real tree, think about what you're going to do after Yes,
1: yeah. I think in, in, where I'm in London, the abandoned Christmas tree is a really sore sight in January. And there's no need for it because parks, local parks will do pickups where you can take them put them in a big pile and they'll go off to be shredded which is what you're just about to talk about. I think know? that
0: probably happens yep. all around the country now I hope. I actually use mine to lock the branches off and I lay them down on my muddy paths. Now for me going down to feed the hens in the morning it's incredibly slippery right, and muddy. Yeah, yeah. If I put those branches down then so I So
1: serve see. a purpose. I think it's important you mentioned about the farmer because we're not anti-business. People need to make a living don't they? And yeah. I think that's important we feed into our local economies that we support each other like that. So we're not anti-business and we're not anti-real tree but maybe just think about where you're getting it from yes yeah exactly. I, I must admit i am an artificial tree man i've got a very very lifelike nowadays and there's a, one reason for that is i use it over and over and over again and it goes in a box and it goes in the cupboard and i yeah. take it out a couple of weeks before christmas and i put it up and then uh, and then we try and put as much natural stuff on it as we can um, i actually do that more than anything because it, it doesn't make a mess in the flat and we're quite busy people and we're out all day yeah. so it's kind of a practical thing for me really as well as maybe there is a little bit of sustainability because I'm using the same thing over and over again.
0: I think it's part of the mantra about reduce, reuse, yes. recycle. Perfect. And that's exactly what we're both doing, whether it's real or artificial. Yep. Think about reusing it and think about how you're going to recycle it when you've stopped using Couldn't
1: bring it. Couldn't green more. Sarah.
0: Great. Wrapping paper, of course, is another thing. That's fantastic on your compost heap. It provides that nice brown balance.
1: 50-50 green and live materials, but dead you materials. You put it so well. Yep. I was
0: getting there. But of course, if you buy that nasty plasticky foil type paper, that's not going to compost. No. So if you can, avoid that. Oh, you right. can get recycled wrapping paper. As well.
1: You can, I think you're right. I think, again, you're up against this trouble with the fact that you can get it so that horrible stuff so cheap and people need to think about that a little bit more. Obviously, as a man, I love wrapping. I can't get enough of it. I'll do it all year <laughs> if I'm my way.
0: that. Last minute, practically minute. You
1: oh, you've not ever seen bad wrapped presents than the ones <laughs> that I do. And really, honestly, it's atrocious.
0: <laughs> I rather like the Japanese style of wrapping and this will mean something to you because yeah. I know your wife's Japanese. Where it's wrapped in a beautiful piece of material.
1: You know what, Sarah? Even when we used to, when I worked in, in uh, Mitsukoshi in Japan, when we somebody bought a plant, the packaging, the, the, the love and attention the Japanese put into it, you would be afraid to open it. It looked so beautiful. Yes. They really just got they go that extra bit. Yes, and it's about making the other person feel special. And I think, well, what else is Christmas for?
0: Yes. It's
1: about loved ones, you know, that's what it's for. I'm Absolutely. just ashamed. I'm so rubbish at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: love and warmth, Chris. Yep. a lot of that. It's a thought that counts.
1: We love to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Sarah, I know you're a great reader. I and you, am. Yeah, I know you are. I love a book. And there's lots of fascinating gardening books out there, and which would make brilliant stocking fillers. Oh,
0: there's just a huge variety, and they're all so tempting. You know, it, it's it's difficult. You could spend
1: a of lot of pocket money if you were careful. Well, <laughs> yeah. You could not go out
0: in the garden at all. You could yeah. just sit and read about it. But I've highlighted a few, and I know that you agree with me. We've just got half a dozen that we really think our listeners would relish, either for themselves or maybe feeling generous they could treat somebody else. Sure. But I'm going to kick off with The Garden Jungle by Dave Goulson. Now Dave is Professor of Biological Sciences at the University of Sussex. He's an academic, but don't be put off by that. Like all the best academics, he's a brilliant communicator. His writing style is friendly, it's accessible, it's amusing. You'll laugh out loud in some places, but the point about this book is... He talks about all the wildlife you're going to find in your garden or that you share your garden space with, if, obviously, you grow organically. So he describes moths, frogs, ants, worms, whatever it is you're going to encounter and how you can encourage them into your garden. So you learn the most amazing facts. Did you know? A female ant can live up to 30 years. 30 years? 30 years! (laughs) And did you know there's a little tiny glutinous snail that is only found in one pond in Wales? Wow. So he is the specialist on bees, all the different species, how they function, where they like to live. Also, how to bring them into your garden. That's the important thing. That's what I love about it. So he's
1: connecting that wider picture, the picture of nature, and bringing yeah. them into your space, your garden space. That's Absolutely, the
0: idea. and then making you be more mindful while you're in the garden. I uh, Completely yeah. fell in love with earwigs when I read yeah. this book. I've never really given earwigs Because
1: additionally, you would have gone, oh, I've got earwigs in you do use, and it would have been a nightmare. But actually, it's, it's not so big a thing, is it, really?
0: No, it's not. And no. he actually encourages them around his trees, his fruit trees, because they will get rid of the pet. So the, the aphids and whatever. So yes, fall in love with the an nearwig and buy this
1: book. <laughs> That's and a, a great expression. Dave
0: yeah. The Garden Jungle, and you had one also on wildlife. Well,
1: obviously, um, my one I'm going to go for Kate Bradbury again on the wildlife garden Oh, front.
0: Who you yeah. met last night? I did.
1: I know, she's a really inspirational lady, you know. I really, really, really liked her. She's full of energy, and you know? uh But I wouldn't let that put me off saying what I think about a book. But the book, I promise you, that aside. Is now become really my wildlife gardening bible in terms of practical gardening and actually doing stuff in the garden. It's very concise, it's full of practical tips. Little things like bee hotels, the sort of thing you buy, put on the wall and forget about. And she tells you about how you need to clean them, because you obviously stop getting fungus going and then put them in the dry through the winter so it protects any Christmas in there. All those sort of little tips that you don't quite, mm. you know, because they're trendy and they're fashionable and you see them in garden centres, there's a bit more to it than that. They're. And what, also what's really interesting is she gives you three act, three three stages. You don't have to be a real expert. She gives you three easy stages. You can do it this way or you can go a bit deeper or you can go a bit deeper. So I find it, to me, it kind of it, it encompasses that. It's a bit like Dave Goulson. It encompasses that idea that, I' changing attitude to gardening that we've suddenly looking at it through broader eyes, you know we're looking at it much wider. Before when I started with gardens on the parks, you didn't really think about this stuff. you did everything had to be neat, tidy, it was very beautiful, but you weren't really thinking about the bee or the earwig or so it just kind of to me captures the fact that where we're heading as a, as a, as a, as an industry, as a profession, as a passion. And, uh, and I think Kate really gets it well, and I also like the fact. That she's liaised with the RHS and Wildflower Trust on it. She hasn't gone out there and said I know it all. She's actually really done a lot of research with other organisations and it makes it a very solid book. And she talks about balconies. What else wow, can I ask for? <laughs> that's
0: perfect. Both authors make the point that you are sharing your space yes. with the wildlife. Yeah. You may call it your garden, your balcony, or whatever, but the fundamental principle is that you are sharing it with it's all absolute. the other creatures that are part of it. And
1: if you if you're not if you've not got those things in your garden, imagine a garden without birds in it. It's not a garden, sorry. Well, I have to say,
0: Goulson is excellent on all the pesticide use as well. Yeah. So, moving on from wildlife, the next book that I thought would be interesting that you may want to have a look at is Wild About Weeds. Now, this is a book written by Jack Wallington... And it's, he calls it garden design with rebel plants. I love the
1: expression rebel plant.
0: I love the way the fact that he defined Well, we know the definition of a weed is a, a plant in a wrong place. But I think he also goes a little bit further and he says, a weed without humans is actually just a plant. Whereas yeah. a plant that causes problems for humans is now called a weed. Yes, yes. And so it's, it's all in... It sounds a bit semantics. But what I quite like is that he divides the weeds into good, the bad... And the unappreciated (laughs) and I like that. He identifies weeds that will work as part of your garden design for all sorts of different areas. So he talks about weeds that will bring colour into your garden, weeds for containers, for shady areas, for walls, for ground cover. In other words, he deals with the weeds as if they are plants.
1: But that's what you want. That's what you want from a gardening book like this. You want those tips, those little heads ups. Yes. You know, those kind of things. Like, that oh, that's a good idea. And I think he's been quite successful at that.
0: I absolutely agree. Yeah. My only beef about this book is you really do have to brush up on your Latin names. So it's, it's a
1: gardener's gardening book then. It's really. a gardener's gardening yeah, book. Yeah, yeah.
0: And what? it's very much a garden design book. It will make you look at weeds with new eyes, though, and that I really, really like. And it's a beautiful book to look at as well. It's very,
1: isn't it? It's stunning to look visually. It's stunning.
0: And talking of practical tips, let's move on to the next book, which is Kim Stoddart's Climate Change Gardening. Now, I know you're a huge fan of this one, and also you met Kim.
1: I did. We we interviewed her for a podcast, very bubbly character, very passionate about what she does again. I think this book is... um, it's challenging, is a good word. It's a difficult subject in yeah. many ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: climate change is also climate chaos. It's also changing yes. weather patterns, and she writes about how to deal with those. It is,
1: it's about taking your space and what's happening in your space and, and acting accordingly. There's great bits in it. A bit like if you have a waterlogged garden, about planting natural hedgerows that does natural soakaways to absorb the extra water. Things like alders who and, and naturally take up a lot of water. So it's very, very practical. Um, I really like it. It's just easy to look through. And there's kind of boxes with tips and tricks in it. And um, I think I think they've done a good job. What is, what, a, what is a difficult subject, I think they've done a really good job of. I agree. So, I see, Sarah, we've got two cookery related books, aren't we? Well,
0: they're definitely food related, and I think we have to remember that's important. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> partly because it's Christmas, but also I think uh, because I'm a great veg grower, I like people who love their veg and their varieties, but also people who love cooking and eating them.
1: Sure, that, that, the whole process is so important, see to play, isn't it?
0: Exactly. So the first one is by Raymond Blanc, the famous chef. I know
1: him well. I I, um, he did, I did a garden with him at Hampton Court and his son a couple of years oh, ago. Did so he's you? a very amiable man, I have to say. He's yes, a I'm, great character. Yeah. And
0: he's written this book called The Lost Orchard. And he writes passionately about his orchard at Le Manoir. You yes. know his he's a big house yes.
1: in He's a big heritage um, supporter of heritage Huge. varieties. He's yeah.
0: researched thousands, mm. literally thousands of varieties of fruit. Apples, pears, peaches, figs, quince whatever he wanted to plant these heritage varieties to keep them going but of course Blanc is also a chef so the beauty of this book is we not only have a potted history of each of the varieties that he's planted but also an analysis of how each of those fruits taste and also how they cook so for instance you have the acidity of a cox apple is perfect for a tart right i found it a fascinating book he's very french and it comes across <laughs> and to be honest i think most of it was dictated because as you read it you get the sense of, of him talking
1: music, of him speaking at yeah speed yes there's no doubt yeah. About it. Yeah.
0: but chris i say if you buy this book you'll be inspired not only to plant your own heritage trees but you'll probably make the perfect tart, perfect yeah. tart, because he's yeah. got recipes in the back of it, and you'll certainly never buy a supermarket apple again.
1: Right, that's good news. That's good news. Yeah. I'm going to have to uh, get myself a copy of that, definitely. Yeah, I yeah. would. It's
0: a beautiful book. It's yeah. worth buying. And then the other one, which is related to eating, is the well-known chef and grower, Mark Diacono. Him
1: of River Cottage, originally famous. Um, exactly.
0: Um, and he's brought out a book called Sour.
1: I think this is a great book and I think it's a subject matter right that most people wouldn't go near. We are inundated with the cake and baking and all this sort of sugar and so to take on a subject like this is really good and it's full of brilliant recipes i even just starting with a cover the really luminous cover i really love that and I, I know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover but that attracted me to it straight away and the recipes i mean you've got you know granddad's trifle a mojito marmalade i mean come <laughs> on what's not to like about it
0: i have a naturally sour palate anyway so i was thrilled when you introduced yeah. this
1: to me it's yeah. some amazing You talk about kimchi like pickled cabbage with lots of garlic and it's quite sour and bitter but they eat 300 tons of it in Korea, so they used to let things go sour for taste it's over the centuries. Whole, but it's
0: also the fermentation process. That's right, it? yeah. That's Helps yeah. preserve it, but brings out those bacteria, which we know are good for And adults. then
1: change the flavor, exactly. And it's, we've been doing it, this is not new. we've done it for centuries, but I'm so glad Mark's highlighted it, and I really recommend it. There's some brilliant recipes in it.
0: I think the theme that we have here is these are interesting books, they're practical, they're written by people at the top of their game, they know exactly what they're saying. But more importantly, they're very accessible. Yes. They're really nice to sit down in an armchair and read and enjoy.
1: They're very practical. I think, I get you want to go out and play these subject matters out, basically. It does make you want to garden. It does make you want to cook. And I think, you know, that's job done, I reckon. I really recommend all six of them. I really do.
0: So if you didn't catch all the names and the authors of these books, then we'll put them all up on the Garden Organic website. this month is Jane Perrone. Jane is the country's leading expert on houseplants and one of the country's best-known gardening journalists, having worked on The Guardian for over 20 years. Her podcast, On The Ledge, has a huge and constantly growing following. Chris and I visited Jane in her home and chatted to her amongst all the greenery. I went along as well because I'm not an experienced houseplant grower and I wanted to ask Jane some beginner's questions on what plants to choose and how to succeed. And just before we start, I think we should share our sympathy with Chris, who is clearly struggling with a cold and a runny nose. Why I didn't pass him a handkerchief, I don't know
1: hi Jane lovely to see you
0: nice to have you in my home yeah
1: thanks for inviting (laughs) me yeah it's a bit of a privilege we're talking to houseplants because I'm a big houseplant man and the reason I am is because for the first sort of eight years of my life after I left home I didn't have a garden so houseplants were my garden I have to confess I blew up three tellies in my bedsit watering them because I had so many at one point it was literally a jungle but I'm very close to them do you think that houseplants are popular now because obviously we have a bit more of a transitional population a lot of renters do you think that helps?
2: I think that is a big factor in why houseplants are popular you know even i mean i was looking at my blog and i wrote a post in about 2010 saying it's so annoying house plants are not very popular and i go into garden centers and there aren't any and then in the last few years this amazing explosion of interest has happened which has been delightful to see and uh, i think it's partly due to that that renting population who are looking for uh, something to nurture and it, I think it's also down to things like micropropagation and things where we're now able to get plants like phalaenopsis orchids and the Penthes pitcher plants. Postwise. Postwise, mm. the price of those exotic plants has come down. For good or ill, supermarkets are now have entered the market for these kind of plants. So people are doing their shopping and seeing plants and picking them up. I think also the internet and particularly Instagram has played a really big role. You think
1: social media has a big yeah, role in this? Yeah, social media
2: definitely because people are able to educate themselves. They see something on social media and think, "Oh my gosh, what is that plant?" Then they see, "Oh, it's Calathea orbifolia." They go and Google it and they find this wealth of information. And right, I need to buy every type of Calathea there is. <laughs> and so that's it's. I think that the internet has really helped. And so as a result, there's been this explosion of interest, which is great. Please.
1: So how do you how do you equate then when you were? House plants, um, how do you be organic? I know organic is very important to you, so how do you bring that into play with your house plant yeah, collections?
2: That's a really good question. So, I joined Garden Organic, gosh, early 2000s, I would say. So, I've been a member for a really long time. I used to love going up to your HQ near Coventry and spending time there, you know. So, I'm an enthusiastic organic gardener. When it comes to house plants, I think organic is. Well in a way it's a bit more tricky but in a way it's simpler in that you don't have a lot of the factors you do with outside like you're not worrying about uh, you know pest control in a way pest control is really quite simple in that most things indoors it's just a case of wiping it off with a damp cloth unless you've got a massive collection of a thousand plants really you should be able to handle most pest infections very simply with some insecticidal soap you know it's not that Complicated a thing, um, and you're also controlling all the elements. So, and you can get in fact, somebody emailed me this morning asking about organic fertilizer, and there are organic houseplant fertilizers out there. So, in a way, it's kind of simpler. I think one of the biggest challenges is peat free, yeah, uh, which I, is it's really really tricky where I live, it's really tricky to super tricky to get hold of um, good peat free compost and so that is a really that's a really live issue and one that i'm very concerned about because you know we're supposed to be peak <laughs> free by next year that's yeah. not going to happen in the uk is it so that's something that's kind of on my mind and also things like reducing plastic as well should we all be planting in terracotta pots well yes probably we should can we cut down on plastic in the garden and in, in the house?
1: Or in our packaging as well? House yeah, plants it, have to exactly. come heavily packaged mm.
2: in plastic sleeves and all sorts. So there's a lot. There are lots of challenges. I think you know. I think the other issue with with house plants is oftentimes when you're buying them from the big Dutch nurseries, this, often they've come. They're coming preloaded with insecticides, systemic insecticides yeah. in them. Uh, you know, what, how can you get around that? Well, it's tricky because there aren't that many growers who are not doing that growing on a big scale but then I always try to educate people about propagation in that mm. if you start getting into propagation you can then create plants which you can share with friends and family and the beauty of that is you are producing a plant which from the very beginning is adapted to your home as opposed to coming from a nursery where it's computer controlled everything's perfect yeah. and people can't say oh I can't believe it I brought this plant home and a month later it's looking really miserable
1: it's in shock it's get a terrible shock <laughs> the big one is basil isn't it you buy a basil it looks amazing which it's come from yeah. a Buckingham Palace in so, uh, yeah, propagation is an interesting one because house plants are very easy to propagate.
2: Yes, and one of the things I'm doing on my podcast at the minute—I did it last year as well—is a something called the sow along, which is um, sowing house plants from seed, which mm. is really fun, and it. Really helps people to get an insight into how these things grow to actually grow them from seed. So I encourage people to try that really? from cacti, um, coleus, lots of different mm. succulents. It's really because most people
1: wouldn't to think to grow houseplants from seed. Would yeah, they? So it, a, it's yeah.
2: really fun. It's really really fun, and you know, also I encourage people to to do cuttings as well. Uh, because as well, that's just, it's ridiculously easy most of the time. It's so much fun. I think I find kind of frustrating when people talk about organic gardening, and I guess this is something probably that Garden Organic would recognize, is people will say, oh, I don't use any chemicals. And, I'm, and I always find that really frustrating because actually, of, of course you do, because chemicals are just things that we're all made of. Everything's made yeah. of chemicals, you know. And it's that, sometimes it, the lack of Do you the think we're distracted? Nuance.
1: We're distracted by the whole chemicals thing. And actually, it's, it's a, a, it's a it's broader a subject. Nuance.
2: And, you know, mm. actually, you can say, of course, yes, I'm not using any synthetic chemicals, which is a more accurate way of describing it. But oftentimes, people are black and white
1: about it. So that's reflected in your podcast?
2: Yeah, so I started my podcast two years ago because I was doing a podcast on gardening for The Guardian with Alice Fowler, Mm. which I loved doing. It was so much fun. And when that ended, I just thought, I really miss podcasting. Mm. And I thought houseplants would be a good topic because I do have a genuine interest in them. But also it was kind of strategic in that I knew houseplants were on the up. And this was an area that really wasn't catered for. Like garden Mm. media across the board were not really talking about houseplants. There were some books, but there wasn't a lot else for people to look at. And so... I thought that podcasts should be a good area to to tackle. And yeah, I mean, my audience is just amazing. Stuff that they're doing, the experimental kind of way they're displaying houseplants is really awe-inspiring.
1: So you're getting all that feedback. It's interesting you say that, how it begins... At an early age because I remember I just rooted a bit of plectranthus in a bit of water and that was the start really of my gardening career so mm. I think hopefully while you're getting people to grow houseplants it then branches out they have wider exactly. ambitions yeah definitely yeah.
2: I definitely think that's right because um, those people as soon as they get any more space like a balcony or a tiny patio or a front step or something they're going to see what they can grow outside as well so it does lead on and they're gaining knowledge all the time I'm really impressed by the, the depth of knowledge that people have so for example there's this whole debate about a Monsters thing about a year and a half ago where lots of plant shops were selling this thing that they were describing as Monstra oblique. and so this is a rel- relatively Swiss cheese, cheese plant yeah. but it's got much smaller leaves and people were being sold this as Monstra oblica and then suddenly at some point somebody spoke to an Aroid expert who said there ain't no way that's monster oblique because there's only about this many plants of that in the whole of western europe and it's not obliquer it's most likely adansonii and now this is getting quite technical now, right? <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. getting quite technical this is not just oh have i over my house plant this is arid identification at a quite intense level and yet people um on instagram were you know getting all heads up about it reading scientific papers mm. i mean going in really deep <laughs> on it which is amazing i just love the fact that people are doing that that's so- it
1: causes that train reaction, doesn't yeah. it? And, the, yeah,
2: you can mine deep to find out the information you need. Mm. It can lead you on kind of a wormhole where you end up spent all morning trying to figure out what
1: <laughs> yeah, monster yeah. you It caught. can distract you, is what yeah, you're saying, yeah. exactly. Brilliant. Well, I know Sarah's here with us and Sarah would... I don't I think she'd mind me calling her a bit of a houseplant novice.
0: Absolutely. Is good, that all right? right?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <exactly> <laughs> I know. Patch, she's a
1: very, very, very good gardener. So I, to yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to maybe hand over to Sarah because she might have some just basic questions for you. Yeah. Thank
0: you. And that, so... You're quite right I am a novice. Um, As a beginner can you give me maybe two or three examples of house plants that will look good all through the year? Mm -hmm. We all know about the office spider plant but I want something a little nicer and Mm. also requires a bit of gardening skill because our listeners are gardeners so something that's perhaps different and interesting but makes a nice arrangement through the year.
2: Well, um I think the first thing to say is the first thing you need to do when you're thinking about a houseplant for your home is is look at your condition. So and succulents, you can buy them everywhere now. And really if you're gonna talk about a plant that's gonna stay beautiful all year round and not cause you a lot of trouble, cactine succulents can be that answer, but only if you've got enough light to offer them. So um, if you've got, like this is a south-facing window, mm. cactine succulents do really well here because it's south-facing. I've also got a grow light over there, which is supplementing the light over there. So you can use grow lights if you don't have a, a lot of light, but you oh, want to have
0: that's
2: a light you can succulent. buy that's yeah, so similar, a, similar it's to a,
0: sunshine? Yeah,
2: exactly. And mostly these days they're LED, so they're cheap to run and they provide the light spectrum that, that plants need. So that you can buy various configurations of those to, to up your light if you want to have cacti and succulents. But if you're talking about like plants that I love and that I think are really, really easy, I don't think you can go... Too far wrong with members of the peperomia family. <laughs> I love peperomias. Would you like? I love peperomia. Yeah.
0: Describe them to me because I haven't heard of them. Okay, this. so
2: I'll just go and get one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh this, I can't remember which one this is now. Is this angulata? i I got to look at my list but th- this one's been very mistreated over the winter it's been up in my bathroom
0: but it's still actually looking all right looking great. It's great It's been up in my bathroom so all winter So to people listening in this is and again from an so, novice this is a very pretty trailing plant with yes. heart-shaped leaves Dark green and peperomias. There's absolutely loads
1: of peperomias. So no, they I, don't
2: I, all look like this, but they're fleshy-leaved green foliage plants, basically.
1: You see them. I've seen them growing wild in Africa, and they tend they can grow epiphytically. You'll see yep. them growing in moss banks, yep. and they're all, all quite. They can take quite dark actually areas as well. Um, very tough. Very very tough plant and coming of a, a real variety, as Jane says. Is it yep. fair
0: to say that most indoor plants you grow for the foliage rather than the flowers? Well, my view
2: on that is that yes, there are that is true mostly. But I am a big fan of flowering house plants. Phalaenopsis is the obvious one. The moth orchid is the obvious one that people always recommend. But I have a real, and I don't actually have any in here, but we can look at the back later. Are my Gesneriads. So Gesneriads are made up of um, plants like Streptocarpus, African Violet, Petrocosmia, Coleria, and I love these. They're one of my favourite plant families. Um, they are just adorable and they they flower so and when they're all flowering they look They amazing. look incredible. They're yeah. absolutely amazing flowers. So Streptocarpus are good um, plants if uh, they've got, fle- again they've got green fleshy leaves so you don't need to give them a huge amount of water but you do have the bonus of these lovely flowers. Okay I'm going um, to interrupt
0: you there because yeah. I know the question you always get asked yes. and, and Chris you may like to chip in on oh. this one, watering.
2: Yeah. And this <laughs> one, I
0: think is the problem that most people are nervous about when they're
2: growing. Terrifying, mustard. the terrifying subject of watering. The, the 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 old story is the number one cause of houseplants dying is overwatering. Yeah. And that is kind of true because people think, "Oh, oh, my plant's wilting, but I need to water it." Whereas wilting can be a symptom of underwatering or overwatering. So that's how plants generally will die. Yeah. Um and I always say to people just observe your plant. So if you've got one houseplant and you're worried about it, Put it somewhere where you are going to watch it. To notice it. it's there. Notice <laughs> what's going on. And you know, don't be afraid to stick your finger in the soil and see what's happening around the root level as opposed to the surface of the soil so that you only water when it really needs it. But that said, there are houseplants which will which prefer to be soaked all the time. So if you're an overwaterer, you need to pick one of those. Papyrus is a good <laughs> papyrus, one. Papyrus, you can get the papyrus and
1: yeah. water away. I think you're right. I think what, when most people kill houseplants is in the winter, they kill them through kindness, basically. because yeah. they. And I think you've also got that other concept. People don't notice the plant for three weeks, suddenly notice it, water it to death, and then forget about it yeah. for three weeks. Treat it like a pet, I would. That's quite yes. a good analogy. Yeah. You know, Make sure you give it at least two minutes of your attention every day. So
0: what you're saying is in the winter, to don't water it so much. well. I'm very it's sparing the in the winter, yeah.
1: yeah. I'm very, I'm very sparing in the winter. I don't water hard. I mean, I've got big Farkas Benjaminas in my front room and stuff, and I. I mean, every three weeks maybe, and I'm very, very careful about it. The other big thing to mention is heat source. People put them near radiators and stuff, and you get this sudden temperature flux. And so you'll get browning on the edge of the leaf. That's a classic example of the plants not transpiring properly, because you're out all day, it's 15 degrees, you come in, you put the heat in on, it's 30 degrees, and that heat source can cause damage as well and interfere Mm. with the the transpiration of the plant.
0: So that brings me, Chris, to conservatories, because you've got huge heat fluctuations, there and great light variations. Is that a problem?
1: I don't think so. I'd love a conservatory Actually, I'd well, go mad at you
0: afterwards we can go out you've got my, one out there well, yeah. I've got a, a glass
2: roofed extension which is, is good because it's actually north facing so it's actually ideal in that there's lots of light but it doesn't there's a bleacher yeah um, and, but you have to be careful with with um, how close to the light source your plants are and it will vary from plant to plant and you know you can look at your plant and get an idea about watering just from looking at it so something like this peperomia or the cacti you've, you've got a fleshy leaf and that's got that's adapted to conserve water so that's not going to mind lower humidity levels um, and it's not going to mind not getting water whereas something I'm just going to get my Tenanthi which is not looking that great it's the end of winter it's had spider mite it's all a bit going a bit pear-shaped but it's coming back so this Tenanthi it's got very papery leaves and so that really is bothered by dry air and especially when the heat has come on in the autumn, it suddenly goes, what the heck is happening and starts to suffer. Um, so you, you can know a lot from just looking at the, the makeup of your plant and what kind of plant it is and then um, adapt accordingly as to, as to
1: how you uh, treat it.
0: And you spray? Do you... I
1: was going to say, you you the good thing about the conservators, yeah. you can mist them down and that'll help. <laughs> you've got to also remember, most house plants are forest floor so, they're used to, so they don't like really burning direct sunlight, which is the, the north-facing mm. really mm. helps. If you put most house plants in a window, south-facing window, they will bleach because they don't like that intense sunshine. But it is a little bit of research, really, isn't it? If you want to look at the plants that succeed. A bit like your own garden, you put a few things, see what works, what doesn't, you play yeah. around with it. You've got to just
2: try things out. Mm. You've got to experiment and find out what works for you. So it may be that you try Phalaenopsis orchids and they just don't suit you.
0: Um, OK, one final question. I'm a great veg grower. Do you grow any edibles indoors? Are there edible
2: yeah. house plants? Yes, I mean there's you can there's a few different things you can do. I quite often sow microgreens, which is a very quick and easy way of getting greens indoors. I mean there are a couple of house plants that are actually edible. So um, there's something called uh, oxalis triangularis, which is a very sort of trendy, popular house plant. Uh, you're probably best not eating tons of the stuff because <laughs> it does contain oxalic acid, but You'd have to eat pounds of it, really. But it's it's interesting just to taste that tiny leaf. It's very lemony. It's a member of the sorrel family. Sorrel, yes. Uh, But you can also grow herbs inside. Again, it's all dependent on how much light you've got, and you can now buy lots of different kits for putting grow lights together with containers that that open up options on
0: that front.
1: Yeah, I'm. Just, I'm pea shoots is my big thing indoors because yeah, yeah, I just both. love them in a sandwich and in a salad, and yeah, and you can just bang them on the windowsill, can't you? And, and that's It's as
0: simple as sowing
1: peas in a tray. It's like, yeah, in a tray, and I actually use a recycled mushroom tray. You know, you get a pallet of mushrooms. I don't even put drainage in because they come up so quick put a bit of soil in it's 80p for a big box of dried peas and you'll get that last year the summer almost yeah that's such a good thing the first Mm. thing i
2: always recommend to people if they want to start growing is pea shoots and you know you just go look just go into the supermarket buy this box of dried peas and it is wonderful that's a wonderful thing to do and my kids really like pea shoots so it's a good way of introducing kids to um to growing stuff indoors as well and it's so quick
1: and simple you not you've never grown plants before Growing plants is a confidence game. We all know that as gardeners, you kind of do a little bit, you get a bit of success, you want to do a bit more, and it kind of moves out from there, doesn't it? And yeah. So it's quite a nice place to start, I think. Yeah. And
0: where would you recommend that I source my house plants? Talked about supermarkets, but say mm. I want to be a little bit more specialist. I am mm-hmm. an organic grower. I want mm-hmm. to take more care, so I'm quite happy to buy online. Yeah. Is that a good idea? There are
2: loads of different sources to buying farming house plants, and if you're an organic grower, you're going to come up against this problem of big uh, nurseries and the fact that these plants will have been quite likely would have been treated with with something that is not organic that said lots of the big nurseries now are trying to cut down on their their use of um, Mm. synthetic chemicals a because it costs money and b because of concerns about the environment so a lot of them are using a lot of biological controls now so things are moving in the right direction but if you want to buy house plants obviously you've got concern about about plant miles. So again, if you can find a local person who's got houseplants and beg some cuttings off them, then that's probably a really good way to go because you're gonna be reducing your plant miles and you're gonna get plants that are probably will be more adapted to your environment, uh, to to a home environment than a plant that's come out of a garden center um, where it's been very much mollycoddled. There are small scale houseplant growers around and there are specialist nurseries around But you you need to do your research. Where are they actually getting their plants from? Are they growing them from seed? Are they producing their own plants? And so the more you can research, then the more you'll know the provenance of the plants so i mean i've bought plants. you know i don't i'm not snobby i've bought plants from all kinds of supermarkets before Um, i've bought plants from specialist growers i've raised plants from seed i've been to plant swaps i mean if you can go to a plant swap uh, that's a wonderful thing to do because you end up with all kinds of stuff also i'd recommend joining specialist plant societies like the british cactus and succulent society Wonderful growers there, growing on a small scale, who will be able to supply you with wonderful plants. So there's lots of different options. Uh, but as with every every part of life where you're trying to be kind of ethical and organic, you've got to do your research. Footwork, yeah, yeah. there's footwork involved. Yeah. There really is.
1: I think one of the things I like doing. I've got quite a few plants this way. Is you'll go to some well-known DIY stores, and they'll have that trolley in the corner with stuffs half dead. Mm. You've seen that. And yeah, I've got yeah. quite a few yeah. houseplants up there. Yes. I love rescuing houseplants yeah. because you can. They'll take quite a hard cutting. Most of them, you can, They'll come back. Yeah. So that's kind of I think you justify their their source by rescuing them a little bit. Yes. I think yeah. yeah, that's
2: true. I'm really excited about the fact that lots of people in their twenties are getting into houseplants, and I'm interested to see where it's going to take us. Is this trend going? to Is this houseplant trend going to wear continue? out? I, I, are we going to lose? Are we going to lose interest? I don't think it's going to happen. I think that the people who are getting into houseplants now, the people that I see, you know, listening to my podcast and following me on social media. They're really engaged in this world and I think it's going to be interesting to see how in the future where people take that. And I think things that are at the moment quite fringy and not very mainstream like aquaponics. And hydroponics and green walls are going to explode in popularity um, as people want to incorporate houseplants into their home more and see the benefits of houseplants. I mean, there's a lot of very unnuanced nuanced stuff on, on social media about, oh, houseplants clean the air. Well, you know, <laughs> it's not quite as simple as that. But houseplants do have multiple benefits. And if you have enough of them, yes, they could potentially improve the environment of your home. So I think that is a real area that I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops.
1: I agree. I think also where I think houseplants can make a bit of a difference is in in all respects. If you look at gardening and how it's presented, it it can look a bit cliquey I think, in a little way. And you know, sort of glossy magazines, glossy TV programs. I think some people are intimidated by that, and I think houseplants just a great place to start because they're not that hard to do. And when you grow one, you'll want to grow more. And I think it's a a springboard for for future gardeners. I I like to think so. Yeah, I hope so. And I think
2: you know that that it's also I try to kind of have some reality in there, and that you know, like as I always say to people, you know, I've killed so many houseplants, and that okay like it's not you're not coming across as this as you say very glossy thing of oh everything's doing really well i've always got some dead houseplants somewhere in my house because inevitably i'm experimenting trying new things and uh, so you know i've got a busy life i've got a family i've got children so not everything always goes to plan and that's a good message to get out there because i think sometimes people think i can't do houseplants because i had that plant back in you know 2007 and it died (laughs) okay that's probably just a number of different things have gone wrong there. Don't feel afraid to try again because um, there is enormous amount to be gained from from experimenting with house plants. And you know, find the ones that work for you. Like you might be a cacti and succulent person, you might be an aroid person, you might be a fern person. I'm definitely not a fern person. I've got one fern <laughs> in here which is looking kind of miserable right now. Um, so you've got to find out what plant suits you and your house and your lifestyle, and then go from there. And do
0: you think there's something about the fact that in your house makes you very fond of them. well that's a really interesting so you point you build up a relationship with the plant most Packs definitely more closely than you do oh, your oh, veg patch I
1: remember um, I had a big monstera the sacosa when I lived in Brighton and when I got my place at Edinburgh I had to leave it and it broke my heart <laughs> <laughs> it really did I gave it to the person I knew would look after it but it really did it hurt me to leave it yeah, I think yeah. you do form massive uh, emotional relationships with them like any gardener or any plant well, the longer definitely. you keep it alive the more important it becomes to you and yeah.
2: especially yeah. I, I find this younger generation of, of gardeners who are coming through who possibly don't have children and possibly can't even have pets because they're working full-time and they really do have an emotional investment in plants and you know I get people who are like devastated because this plant's not doing very well and, and I and my attitude is kind of like there's always another one but sometimes you know people are just <laughs> yeah. so sad when something is not is, is is dying they really have made a bond with that plant and that's a wonderful thing because we all need something to nurture and care for so yes I mean you know my family just kind of see me coming in with another plant
0: and they're
1: like Mom, <laughs> well I, might, no, I have to no. say my um my good lady <laughs> she's stopped me now it's got there's so many of them like, it's like an hour to get around them all and, her, yeah. and she's got enough <laughs> so yeah, my the...
2: husband he's quite plant blind so oftentimes i find i can introduce things without him <laughs> but if it's something like unusual he'll go oh it wasn't there last oh yeah it's been there for ages dude. don't worry about it that's
1: excellent good really, good.
0: really great thank you Jade. No worries so enjoyed meeting Jane and there's no doubt that houseplants are enjoying a huge popularity at the moment, but it's so frustrating that it's almost impossible to buy an organic one. So maybe make friends with a houseplant owner and, like Jane says, take some cuttings instead. So that's all we have time for today. Don't forget to visit our website www.gardenorganic.org.uk for any help you might need for your organic growing. Next month, we celebrate Veganuary with vegan grower Matt Appleby. And until then, I hope your Christmas break is a happy and loving one and the weather allows you to get out and savour the season. Warm wishes to you from Chris and I and thank you for listening. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for providing the music.